And so you did this basically going out there without knowing that once, if in case you were able to build the product, you could actually sell it. Yeah, so there was, a, there was, there was definitely like a validation of pain and validation of like a customer value, but there was no validation of this can be done. You guys face bankruptcy, the nightmare of any founder or of any company in general. I'd like to understand how did you cope with this situation of insolvency and how did you get out of it again? Because eventually you move the head and you build an even more successful company. Welcome to the Digital Transformer Podcast your number one podcast on digital innovation, transformation, and venture building. We help entrepreneurs and corporate innovation leaders like you gain the knowledge and skills you need to build the leading digital businesses of your industry. Today, I talked to Ante Spittler, co-founder and CEO of Moss. Ante went from quitting his well-paying job in consulting and founding a first successful business to facing bankruptcy. But instead of giving up, he went all in again and today has built one of the leading financial management companies for SMEs that has been backed by some of the most renowned global investors and is currently valued at 500 million euros. We talk about how to find your passion project and successfully take the leap from corporate employee to founder, how to rebound successfully after hitting a rock bottom with your business or innovation project, and how to build incredibly successful disruptive businesses from scratch in the absence of any blueprint. Plus, we talk about his number one learning as a founder and the future of the finance industry. So with no further ado, let me welcome Ante. Awesome to have you, Ante. In many regards, you have a very classical founder career. You, you first per, pursued a career in consulting and then went on to found your first company. For lots of people, this is a super scary step. Quitting the job, moving out there, founding the own company. So I'd be curious, how did that make you feel? Hi, Kilian. First of all, thanks for, for having me. Very, very excited. Sure, look, so it is definitely scary. It's definitely a big step to take. Um, but I can only encourage everyone to seriously consider. And if there is a strong passion to also do it. <laughs> But before, before digging uh, in deeper there, uh, so in my case, I, um, I discovered the, the, the interest and passion for entrepreneurship much earlier. Uh, so I engaged during my studies and throughout my, my early career. While I was working with, with consulting, I also launched my first project together with friends. Uh, it was a burger restaurant, so, so not really online and, and technology enabled, and yet uh, our passion something really wanted to do and then and then during this this early early phase uh, um, as a young consultant I just I just realized um, I get very attracted by the thoughts uh, of, of working in tech um, especially especially like in the startup environment um, and a couple of opportunities passed by I got I got asked by a couple of contacts and friends that would like to join a team um, and I uh, I decided to not do it uh, because I felt I still have a journey ahead of me at McKinsey. Uh, I was only 25, 26 year old and thought like I should actually learn some of the basics more. But then during the PhD, an exciting opportunity passed by um, and this was then also the, re uh, the right timing to leave the firm and take on the challenge. And yes, obviously I was, uh, I was very afraid, <laughs> some days very, some days less. 
probably a mix of uh, of uh, FOMO that I actually might miss out more learnings during my um, my career uh, at McKinsey, but then also uh, the FOMO of of missing out uh, if I don't step out and don't launch the company. So you've been somewhat torn between the two things. Like on the one hand, there's this like. Uh, like there, there might be learnings. There is security, so to speak. And on the other hand, like uh, I really want this. Like I want, I want to pursue this opportunity, and but it's like a huge step, and I'm, I might regret it later on, right? Um, yeah, hundred percent. So I, I think that's that's always like in a difficult situation to deal with. But what I find interesting that you said before, and I briefly wanted to go back to that, is that you said, "Hey, I had several opportunities." let's say it available before how did you decide because you said you you passed them on right you said you didn't pursue them further how did you decide or how did you know that those were not the right opportunities versus the one you're about to describe right now was the right opportunity because i think that's something that i personally also experience i'm like should i pursue this or should i wait it's like this constant let's say uncertainty of which one is the right one yeah yeah 100 look so so generally speaking um i think there is never like the perfect timing and there is never the perfect setup uh, so so waiting for the perfect will result in not taking any action but instead uh, i asked myself uh, what would be like the decision criteria um, to make the move and then really like define them almost like literally write them down um, and some of those were, I, I need a co-founder that has already worked in tech, understands uh, how tech and venture building works, because it's going to be a lot of new stuff for me. I need a setup uh, consisting either of advisors or early angels that are serial entrepreneurs that have seen things fail and succeed at the same time, uh, and who can help with some, with some guiding, guiding support yeah, and sparing along the journey. And then last but not least, um, I told myself I would like to, 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 to see a setup where we have a good chance to raise the funds we need to, to work through the first 12 to 18 months, uh, knock out the MVP and be able to, to build our first product. Uh, so this was sort of like in terms of setup. And then of course, a couple of thoughts like in terms of the founder, co-founder fit, as well as like the type of company we want to build, what are like the cultural elements that are very important to me uh, because I would not want to take the step if they are not sort of like fulfilled yeah, or present. Um, and with this, it was much easier to assess opportunities. Uh, of course, you will find a million of reasons why not to do it. <laughs> the more you think, the more reasons you find. But ultimately, I think it's, uh, it, it needs like the, you know, like the, the step back. Does it feel right? What does my gut feeling tell me? Uh, do I have the right co-founders and partners on my side? And then, yeah, let's just do it, yeah? And, and what were those cultural factors that you named? Like, for you personally, what what did you pay attention to where do you say has to fit in this co-founder relationship and then everything else? Yeah, so it I would say some elements changed uh, from building the first company to the second. Some came on top and some some left and some and some remain anchored. I think like the, the most important element for for me was uh, hundred percent trust. It needs to be a setup where we can divide and conquer like on legals as well as operating topics, and there is like this hundred percent baseline of trust. 
The second one was, and this counts like for the whole company and everybody we hire, it needs to be egoless. We have to, we have to be able to discuss. We have to be able to look into data, take, take smart decisions and not based on egos, but rather based on facts and based on what we think is right for the company. There was another element around, around the type of people we want to hire. Uh, so basically, entrepreneurship is one of the key elements uh, on their minds. A certain level of curiosity and drive resulting basically in intrinsic motivation yeah, versus having to extrinsically you know, micromanage people or whatsoever. And then last but not least, and that's something the way that, I anchored, that we anchored much more now in our current business is, is like a very strong tech mindset, a very strong product mindset and customer mindset, because ultimately a durable tech company will have to build something that, that is great, that exceeds sort of what other offerings uh, are providing, that can create this, this customer delight, but at the same time uh, remains attractive as a business also, yeah? so can generate revenues and, 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 and whatsoever. And how do you find these people? Because for personal experience, like, A, with regards to co-founders, because I think it's a, it's a, let's say, fine line to walk between, let's say, building a company with someone you're very familiar with, i.e. that you trust. But then on the other hand, maybe being, let's say, also risking to jeopardize the, the uh, friendship that comes along with it versus finding someone externally, but not really, let's say, having 100% trust, having the confidence that the motivation and this fact-based approach is identical because people might pretend that they are, but then really within themselves, they're not. So how do, how, how do you handle that? Yeah, so, so I'm, I was fortunate enough that in both companies, there was an re existing relationship, which I think is a great basis because you, you already have 70% um, of the information about how people like act and how they think. If, if this is not the case, which obviously is not a must, I think it's just very important to spend a lot of time together. Uh, so things have to be discussed, like uh, which type of company, which strategy, how to recruit, like all of these elements in order to understand the ways of thinking and understand like whether this is a, a cultural fit or is not a cultural fit. Um, fortunately, it seems that in, in, in the market, most teams uh, get along together, but I've also seen a number of cases where it didn't work out. Uh, so again, would like stress and emphasize uh, the pre-work required to really make sure that it's the right fit. And then when 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 hiring, uh, so basically when when expanding beyond this initial team, I think it really comes down to to like which questions do you want to explore to get a better grip on 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 the personality and the and the and the culture fit, and then also be very strict about those. Uh, so not uh, not compromise. If things are are maybe don't feel like perfectly in shape, then it's rather like a very strong signal for no. Versus like yeah, let's see and maybe things work out. <laughs> and of course, we have done a ton of mistakes here, um, uh, and others for sure have too. <laughs> uh, but they can be avoided. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is like an example question? How, how would you like go about figuring out whether someone is a culture fit or not? Uh, it really depends on on uh, on the role and the, and the seniority and and like what the basically the problem to candidate fits. Um, but I think one of the few, for example, if hiring um, more senior leaders, one of the elements we try to understand is 
how entrepreneurial are are those candidates and then it's and then how do they how do they approach change ambiguity and all of these elements uh, so so one of the elements that I'm, one of the questions i'm asking is can you talk me through like the one of the major projects you shipped or product launches or whatever the situation makes sense yeah and with the candidates and then go really through like each individual step like what was the foundation for for even like deciding to do it which prep work was done how was the team composed what was the leadership style in the setup etc etc to really extract the details about how people think about themselves their role their 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 engagement and so on so it uh, but it depends as i said it can also be different types of questions awesome and overall, let's say you've been very successful even with this first business. You raised 35 million from strong investors. But then there was this moment where suddenly, like, everything was going th south. So what I'm talking about that you guys face bankruptcy. And I think this is the nightmare of any founder or of any company in general. So I imagine it's super, and I've been there as well. It's super tough to work through this. So I'd like to understand how did you cope with like this situation of insolvency and how did you, let's say, get out of it again? Because eventually you moved ahead and you build an even more successful company today, which we'll talk about in a second. But really, let's briefly for a moment dive into this situation because I think it, it has tremendous learning potential for everyone listening today. Sure, 100%. And look, like top down before going into like the details, um, it's it's a learning journey. And the more you can learn from it, the, the better you're equipped for the future. Um, and I and I do think that failing is almost like a must do step. <laughs> Maybe mm -hmm. not total failing, <laughs> but failing <laughs> is a must do step like in company building. Um, but now more precisely, like on the Move24 situation you're referring to, um, it was a very tough business model. So we, we really like worked very hard on, on, on turning new economics uh, to a healthy basis. Um, on the other side, it was a model that, that, that was able to gain traction very quickly in a market where disruption made total sense. So it was almost like this conflict of things look very good on first side and you can raise funds and you want to grow and scale, but then it becomes very difficult uh, to make it profitable uh, throughout the later stages. Um, same same for, for other companies in the same vertical, like Homebuilt, Ruby, like all of these players face pretty much the same challenge, even though working with a different, a different space, uh, but, but basically same business model. Could you have anticipated this before? Like in hindsight, looking back to it, could you have already identified this problem with the unit economics upfront so that it would have, let's say, saved you from the headache? Yeah, so, so entirely upfront, I would say no. It just needs, it needs a shot. You have to, you have to grow, through, uh, go through hundreds or thousands of clients to really get like the proper base and you have to iterate on the blueprint on all elements, yeah, the product, the, the commercial blueprint, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, think, I think upfront, very unlikely, but then earlier throughout the funnel, uh, probably yes. I mean, like obviously teams, smart teams always have ideas about what to improve and smart teams will also work hard on making this, this change. But sometimes 
you're just working against the market it's tough to crack and this we might have maybe seen earlier but it's tough it's very very tough and and ultimately yeah uh, it's very hard to, to to sort of like know exactly yeah no i, I was just asking because a lot of like if you if you talk a lot to a lot of people they always say like yeah like do the typical calculation right does it make sense on on the, on the on the back of the envelope like are the unit economics making sense but it's interesting to also hear like yes they might make sense on paper but you still have to explore whether the hypotheses that are surrounding this are actually working out right so very very curious yeah yeah and especially so what is very hard to predict before is is sort of like what what is it going to cost me to acquire customers you can you can you, you can be better in predicting like your cost margin if you sell products uh, on services you can sort of like strive to a certain pricing to, to lock in a certain gross margin so on SaaS you will have to experiment a lot it's a bit more difficult to, to set the price if you can try to like understand the willingness to pay of customers but then the acquisition engine that's like a whole unknown because you don't know right you might you might have to run like a ton of google campaigns and optimize until you get to a healthy base you might have to hire like sales teams and go to the whole sales funnel on a certain load of leads to really understand how it plays out like as a baseline so uh, having said that uh, it's definitely really, really tough and i think it requires like the experimentation and and people should have the courage to just try it out uh, i mean that's what also venture capital is for right it's it's um it's it's the first funding to support great ideas and great teams in creating some sort of an mvp validation yeah it's like a pre-seed or seed round and uh, and if it doesn't work out it didn't work out yeah and if it works out there is the opportunity to do 100x so so that's the game and you said precisely this 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 issue so going a bit back to this situation what was ultimately the the you said the core challenge was that the unit economics really didn't work out that well and so what you had to do is to let's say somewhat pivot the business to try to figure out an alternative which didn't work out and so you you sold the the parts of the business that were somewhat let's say valuable and close down the other ones now how did you deal with this in this particular situation mentally because i think there's a lot of pressure you have people that are ultimately relying on feeding their families and then how did you then afterwards let's say rebound from this sure so it's very tough it's very very tough um if if anyone thought it wasn't tough then something is wrong <laughs> i would argue uh, so it was very very tough i think it's almost like the like the motivation and passion to make things work is what keeps you uh, up and running we had crazy working hours like always into the nights we tried uh, to like iterate even faster as we were sort of time was running out trying alternative routes investigating whether other source of funding or other types of of exits for the company could make sense to preserve the the engine preserve the employment of the people and maybe recover either all or some of the funds that have been invested uh, so it's really really tough but ultimately once sort of like the decision and the event is there to to not continue or to be forced to not continue depending on, on how things play out we have to face reality uh, it's a new situation it's like a very it's a milestone that's 
fundamentally changes direction. It's not anymore about how do I fix it or what, what can I do to improve. It is basically what do we, how do we manage the process now in the right way. And this is also when I, when I started realizing I have to, I have to switch my, my mental model, how, how I think about this business and my, in my future. And, and this is when I started slowly also realizing that, 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 that there is like more. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was very tough. It took three months more or less, and it was the, the best time invested to like, to, uh, to gain sufficient distance to con to like integrate the learnings, you know, and work through the learnings and to make up a plan of, of, of like focus for the future. But it was, also, it was also an amazing time, suddenly not, not having this crazy work pressure, not having like this tough decision. So it was also like a strong time for me, for me personally. And, and this is how I process the whole thing. But I think there is no, no one way. Yeah? There's going to be like a million of ways. So, so, so you're saying like the, the way you switched your mental model, so to speak, was really about, let's say, accepting the fact that, hey, this, this is not going to go further, but to, let's say, also think about it, reflect and say, what, what are the things I can take out of this? And uh, embracing, let's say, the, the fact of, yeah, in a, in a way saying, hey, there is right now, let's say, some sort of, like, I'm maybe in the, like, to, to make it a metaphorical thing, right? I'm, I'm in the middle of the, the storm of the hurricane, and there's some sort of silence. I know everything around me is just, like, flying apart. But also, let's say, to zero in on this and to say, okay, I have to, let's say, be self-conscious and understand what what the opportunities as well as the threats are and you just know that things are going down so best think about a plan on how to let's say do so in a in a let's say positive way for for everyone involved how did you communicate that with uh, to your to your leader uh, as a leader to your employees yeah so it was uh, it was tough obviously and it was a it was a managed process together with with the insolvency administrator, which is almost like regulatory requires. Uh, so I think it's, as I said, it's a very new situation. In this new situation, there are different legal requirements. Uh, it, it, it depends on the geography, yeah? but in Germany, this is the case. And with this, uh, there, there are certain uh, formalities that have to be kept and certain things that can be done or cannot be done. And I think the, the, the core focus of the whole phase post that day was to basically try to work out a solution where where part where parts of the employees can be kept, business units get sold or countries get sold, which we also did to protect as many as possible. But then, of course, there is also a relevant chance that that it doesn't work out on on other on other business business units. So the next thing was also trying to like figure out how to support those employees in finding the next step. Yeah, so wherever it became obvious how to help them move on. And one, one learning you also shared with me when we talked was that you said, hey, like I would not, like I, I, like you, you said you reflect a lot during this period. And one of the learnings you took out of it was that you said, I don't want to do consumer business anymore. Why is that? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this was the process of digesting and, and like extracting the learnings and seeing what, what actually excited most at what excited least i think this is like the great chance of of, of 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 such an experience is to basically know better 
what what is going to be on my agenda for the future and be quite 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 like consistent on on and taking decisions um and um yeah one of the things was um, like a non-marketplace model a non-one-time customer model and a non-consumer uh, facing model were almost like the the uh, the non-negotiables and then a set of other things that pointed into like what would be desired yeah but maybe is not like off the list and and i just came to the conclusion this is the setup i think is more 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 in balance with my with my own expectations with my passion with the opportunity to to build a great company to to solve bigger pains you know so all of these elements um, and this is also why i basically decided to 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 if i go to the next journey focus focus on the on the b2b space and focus on on a saas on the saas business model focus on a on a product that can be very extensive and hence also very sticky so just like criteria that help you pin down what you want to do or do not want to do and, and does it also have to do with the fact of saying a consumer model tends to be a model that i mean you have to acquire way more leads in order to make it work right because if you compare a i don't know 10 euro price tag with a 1000 euro price tag there's a difference but then i think it's also much more about like a lot about the the type of like strength of the founder so the the founder product fit in a way where consumer businesses are often very like say execution focused where you have to nail this one because there's it's it's relatively easy to replicate whereas SaaS businesses sometimes and correct me here if i'm wrong but i assume that they're more let's say technical and like you have to let's say it, it's more about building something that is really really good from a technical perspective as well so that you can somewhat create your own competitive advantage that others might not be able to replicate and then to let's say roll it out yeah i think it's so what you described is is very very closely linked to like my my way of thinking back in the days for also for like for deciding on my priorities like the market can be different right i think it's very tough to build a consumer business very tough to build a b2b business there is a there is definitely like a big differences on on like how you interact with marketing and and and, and which type of sales organization you build up uh, in some like in many cases probably also on the product side but in, i think in essence it really comes down to to like what are people excited about where where does the biggest passion lie what is what is like a development and learning journey where do you think you can have the biggest impact so there is definitely no no right or wrong for me for me there was there was the learning i want to go deeper in 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 tech i want to i want to to crack business function problems I want to have a play field that can result in hundreds of millions of recurring revenue on a yearly basis. So, so this was sort of like for me the decision criteria. But I, I know very successful founders uh, in other other domains also very happy with with what they do. So, it really depends on the individual of what they actually want to achieve. And yeah, which is I think also a good thing. Like, and then it comes back to the fact of know yourself um, because that is such a crucial element to, to really then also finding a business model that works for oneself and that you're passionate about pushing. Now, you, you took these learnings basically by heart and said, I'm going to right now create a different company, which today 
has become a vastly successful business. You've raised uh, capital from some of the most outstanding investors on the globe, you can say. European, US investors. Uh, Moss is right now valued at 500 million. For those who don't know Moss, maybe in two sentences, what did it do? Because I think that gives a good context to then understanding what were, let's say, major challenges in the development of Moss and, and also core learnings in this regard. 100%. So with Moss, we, we help finance teams, we build software for finance teams, and we focus particularly on, on the spend, spend journey. So basically every euro with which companies transact, which can be travel money, but can also be buying hardware, can also be uh, uh, paying merchants and suppliers, if it's a production business, uh, all of it. And now within, within the spend journey, we are helping them create create an interface with which they can they can manage the end-to-end -end journey from basically early procurement up until being able to pay for the products, collect the receipts, and automate the entire journey of pre-accounting, and then reconcile even versus budgets. And this is what Moss is focusing on. We connect next generation financial products. Uh, so we attach credit cards, for example, virtual physical wire payments soon as well. Uh, and many other things to help people create this very seamless and delightful journey, because this is ultimately what is what is like creating most of the friction and, and costing most of the time. So that's most, yeah, and we focus on Germany, Netherlands and the UK. I have thousands of clients, uh, mostly mostly traditional businesses, but also tech companies. It's a it's a it's a good mix uh, that use our platform. Um, in finance, but also also of finance uh, whenever people need to buy something. Yeah. It's, it sounds like a very complex model to, put, put, uh, to pull off. And what is interesting that when we spoke earlier, you said the core challenge in the beginning was that there was absolutely no blueprint available whatsoever. You were basically the first ones who came up with this, let's say, credit card for a new generation, building up partnerships, all this has been unheard of in that space before. So tell me a bit about like the context and, and what were really like the learnings you also took out of it. How did you overcome this? Yeah, sure. So we, we the first golden feature scope sort of was a credit card with next generation credit cards and expense, expense software. We were the first in the European market to launch such a product. It's definitely the first in, uh, in Germany. And, and we had to connect a lot of dots because all of the existing offerings were, were sponsored by incumbent banks. And it was not the next generation product, it was the old school product. Um, and to do so, we had to overcome regulatory challenges. Credit is regulated, issuing payment instruments and, and, and managing payments is, is regulated. Like all of the steps are regulated basically. On the one hand, on the other hand, the technical support infrastructure didn't exist. So we, we had to build our own, own like tech to support this. So we had to build our own ledgers and all of these things. So this was tough. It was a decisive, it was like a binary outcome. So either it works out or it doesn't work out. There were, was a lot of fear down the road. It might also not work out. But then, but then once it did, uh, it was like a huge relief. And it was also one of these uh, like pivotal moments where, where you have a different situation and the situation changed from can we build and launch this product to 
we are live now <laughs> and this is and this is like a very different setup comparable to the situation i described before just just like in a positive direction because because now you have to switch gears and think about so how do we commercialize how do we bring it to people what do, can we learn from data how do we iterate on the product that's interesting because so what you're basically saying is that you first like the first challenge you weren't even sure like so you couldn't really test the product up front right because you first had to check whether the whether building the product was actually possible and so you did this basically going out there without knowing that once if in case you were able to build the product you could actually sell it yeah so there was a there was, there was definitely like a validation of pain and validation of like a customer value but there was no validation of this can be done i mean it's it products exist in the market question was can we do it in an innovative way yeah is there can we do it differently versus what exists in the market so this was not clear and i think i mean it's it's valid for most of the companies that launch yeah especially in tech the regulatory requirements were here like the additional complexity uh, which many of the other verticals don't have so so this was like the add-on add-on sort of yeah challenge but yeah in phrasing it i think you're pretty pretty precise would you suggest companies i mean regulatory things slowed down immensely uh, tremendously right would you like did you personally let's say find try to find a way around it or did you say okay like this is something we have to deal with like let's just find ways on how to do so as quickly as possible yeah i think so like at the starting point is sort of like the customer and the customer pain and 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 and, and basically what you want to solve for and then the question is like how to solve for it and here there is like a, a ton of different ways ranging from from i actually do not want to engage with anything that is linked to regulation for example so i just provide like an infrastructure layer or something similar up until i actually get my own license like we did now recently so we get my own e-money license uh, and i and i and i want to actually offer a lot of the services out of my own shop as you can see like it's a huge huge band probably recommended for companies to initially test and iterate with off-the-shelf solutions and then think about the long-term the, the long-term plan because initially you don't want to you don't want to create too much time and some costs by achieve by achieving an objective of like in five years time versus like validating the mvp validating the use case and validating the whole thing just works so so i think in, in essence like the the more you can scope down this mvp and the like more you're in control of like doing it it's definitely helpful versus versus having to manage additional stakeholders yeah such as such as like the regulatory requirements i think that's a good tip to just like go take off the shelf solutions kind of like mash them together and like see how that works out and then that's 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 a typical definition of an mvp right you take a <laughs> take different components just make something out of it that somewhat works and then go from there uh so it's so very interesting what would you say in hindsight right now looking back at your journey is the was like a core learning or would be one thing you would suggest founders and as well corporate innov uh, innovators that seek to build industry-defining pro like digital products, uh, such the one that you build up. Yeah, there is there is definitely one thing, and it sounds very easy, but it's so hard to do. 
is like staying as close to the customer as possible. And it's a no brainer that everyone preaches. And it is true, I have to say so running like a very smart and thoughtful discovery process in the early days, but then institutionalizing and systemizing the learning process when things go live, because strategy will change, products will come on top, business models will come on top, teams will grow, they might become more decentral whatsoever. So creating this process of how to, how to learn and how to iterate, I think is like almost like the biggest formula of success. And it's very, very hard to do because people are so busy. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of effort to actually like get in touch with customers. There is a lot of different sources, yeah, like from plain, plain primary discovery to analyzing uh, customer behavior. Yeah? So it's like a, a ton of things you can do. Uh, but I think it's, it's the one thing that, that really is going to drive uh, the success of the company. And what is one thing, how, what you would say internally helped you? Like, how did you approach it? And I mean, if you want to share it, of course. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. So I think, I think number one thing is bring, bring the most relevant stakeholders together as close as possible. So, so, so we have a forum where revenue and product organization engage like very intensely and very regu regularly. And we combine through like a different like different layers of governance yeah so cross-functional teams where where people from different functions work together towards one common objective me working together with cpo and cro on a weekly basis on the key strategic elements and so on and so on so so really bringing like the pieces that have to work together very closely as closely as possible i think this is this is one of the big things and then the second thing is really like discussing and thinking through what are the sources of information that we can we can get and what are what are um, and how how can i build like a system to to like digest this information in a smart way yeah so so one 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 example for is as we review demo conversations with customers we try to structurally write down the pains that have been mentioned we we try to structurally write down what the reactions were to pricing to sales incentives and other elements and then and then in a in a in a regular time frame uh, link those back over like a large data set to see whether we can uh, learn new commonalities depending on firmographics for example or on, on buying persona or whatever the relevant cut is. And this is a lot of work, yeah? This is not done on the side. This is almost like a full-time engagement, but it can really drive like the, the really important insights on, on what to do next. Awesome. Super interesting. Thanks for sharing those. One last phrase. How is the future of the financial industry gonna look like with now more and more digital companies emerging, a new generation emerging? What is your prediction? Yeah, so I think I think the, the financial industry will will be will get much closer to like the traditional SaaS technology, you know, traditional to like to, to to basically connecting financial products to processes. This I think is is the future. This is also why 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 from my point of view we see a lot less of such business models emerge where most also falls into right. It connects a payment instrument with the process uh, in the finance department. And, and I, I think this is, this is how we can create access value 
And this is what banks will continue to focus on more and more as well, because it will be required by customers. Just building another interface as a layer, another UX on top, like a cooler app. I think that this has already been exploited to like the vast majority. So it's more the integration components. How can I, how can I connect financial product and a financial needs with the existing process in the organization and the needs uh, of such organization. Awesome. Thank you for having joined me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, there's been a lot of gems in this recording. So thanks a lot for, for joining. I wish you all the best on your journey. And yeah, hope to see you soon. Thanks, Kilian. Likewise, it was fun.